week, we'll talk about switching careers from marketing to analytics engineering. And we have a special guest today, Nicola. So Nikki started her career as a performance marketing specialist and quickly realized that she needs to rely on data to make good decisions. That's how her data journey started and she eventually became an analytics engineer. And in this interview, we'll know how that happened. So welcome to our event. Thank you very much for having me. So I want to mention, so this is something new. Questions for this interview were prepared by Liat Shemesh and Victoria perez Molam. So thanks a lot for your help in preparing the questions. And if anyone here who is listening and want to help us prepare for more interviews in the future, please reach out to me. Okay, and let's start. So before we go into our main topic of switching to analytics engineering, let's start with your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far? Yeah, of course. So yeah, I actually studied in the UK, in London, and I moved over to Berlin soon after graduating from my bachelor's quite spontaneously. And I found myself just in the Berlin startup scene, like many English-speaking people do, because uh, it was pretty much the only available route. So I started out working for Mavinga, which was a big removals startup backed by Rocket Internet. And I was working in the operations team there. So I kind of had my first taste of working at a startup um, there. That was, of course, as you can imagine, very intense, fast growth, lots of change. So it was kind of a baptism of fire for six months. And after that, I found a job at Ecosia. I was really following Ecosia really closely because I really was inspired by the business model and the mission. So for those who don't know, Ecosia is the search engine that uses its profits to plant trees. So yeah, it's essentially, it's a purpose company, which means that yeah, profits are basically entirely used towards um, yeah, financing the tree planting projects. So yeah, and then I suddenly saw a job for a kind of generalist marketing role, which I applied for. And yeah, so my first role at Cozy was actually sort of more generic marketing type thing. And uh, was it something that you also did at uh, Mavinga? Like, were, were no, also... not at all. Or was it something different? Right? It was completely different, but it was stuff that it was kind of a lots of a generalist kind of junior role where you're kind of helping like write press releases, um, think up campaigns, yeah, reaching out to potential partners, this kind of work. And I'd done quite a lot of that through university when I'd been volunteering for a an organization that helped students get into volunteering. So through that kind of work and through more kind of actually not professional work, rather just like more organizing political work and stuff I'd done at university that's kind of where I had those event planning where I built up those kind of organizational and marketing skills from so that's essentially what I ended up really speaking about largely at the, at the interview and we were a really small company we were 15 people when I joined so it was really one of those early stage kind of startups we're doing sort of whatever job needs to be done sometimes it was replying to user feedback at the times it was helping test or new app design or all sorts of things but yeah at some point I felt like I really wanted to go deeper into an area and yeah I basically started running the paid campaigns that we started doing after I joined the company first on Facebook but later then we expanded onto uh, YouTube and Instagram and I really enjoyed that I found it very helpful to really focus in on a specific area and something I found very 
gratifying about performance marketing was that you get kind of results very quickly. So you can kind of really see what's working and what's not working as opposed to other areas of marketing where something like, you know, a press campaign or a, a brand activation, you know, you, it's not necessarily clear what impact that might have had right away. And sometimes it's really difficult or almost impossible to measure, which I found very frustrating. <laughs> but with performance marketing, like the data you're given immediately and you can analyze that and make a decision in minutes on how to to move forward so I got really really into that and of course there are so many online resources for performance marketing and in general and it's relatively new discipline as well in the yeah grand scheme of history of marketing so yeah I was really able to kind of dive into that by myself largely and I was given a lot of responsibility at the company as well so I yeah learned that way I did that for two years and at some point I also started to kind of think okay well I feel like I've kind of understood this and it maybe has its like limits in terms of what's interesting or not so and the part that I really enjoyed was looking at the data coming in analyzing what are the click-through rates saying what are the conversion rates what does that mean yeah how can we optimize this campaign based on the data that we're getting how does it compare with historical trends all of this sort of work I really enjoyed and at the same time, around this time, the company had switched to Looker from Tableau. And at the time, we only had one data um, person at Acosia. So I helped her with the uh, migration to Looker, just as like a side project. And since I was kind of the person who was most comfortable with data and reporting and numbers and measuring KPIs and whatnot in the marketing team, I took on building out the marketing team reporting. So it was your initiative, right? So nobody like told you, hey, you should yeah. do this. You just, okay, like sounds interesting. I really like this topic and I kind of learned everything exactly. that was there about performance marketing. So let me try to also exactly. learn this new tool. Yeah, exactly. And I think at this point, it wasn't really clear to me that I wanted to necessarily move into the data team. I just wanted to maybe have more focus on numbers and uh, data in general, but probably still within the marketing team. And then eventually, I think, what the big shift happened was I think the pandemic <laughs> hit and I think like a lot of people just forced me to to consider you know, what I was doing and whether I was happy in my role and I really found that I, I really wasn't and at this point I decided to make the shift into the BI team and I think at this point I had already done a SQL course um, some months before I guess, with a view to going down the kind of marketing analytics route. But with the pandemic, I really realized that I wanted to move away from, yeah, purely marketing focus and go, yeah, towards, um, yeah, BI. Were you taking the courses, the SQL, SQL courses now? Like, did you have a plan that you want to work in the bi team eventually or it was like okay let me see what i should do to do my job better i remember speaking to my colleague in the bi team who i think in the context rather of being a sort of like marketing analyst person so i think initially the idea was kind of i'd sit maybe between marketing and bi but i think it's because i sort of really didn't think it was possible for me to move department that hadn't really happened in the company before so there wasn't really an example of that to me so I think I was kind of rather thinking oh, well what's possible what could I do and then it was this kind of marketing analyst role 
but yeah definitely I, I took the SQL course in order to yeah move closer towards the yeah, data side of things. So then you realized okay maybe I'm not really super happy with uh, the job I'm doing in the marketing department and then there is this BI team so did you just approach them and ask can I just join you and start working with you or how did this happen? Yes, I think eventually the conversation was already there, as I mentioned before, around how to become more into this marketing analyst role. And already my colleague was giving me lots of advice. And I think probably through that process and conversations, the possibility of me moving into the BI team came up. To be honest, I don't remember exactly who brought it up. But I think what I remember is my colleague in BI saying, well, these are the things that we really need you to have and then once you have those things you can there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to join the team as a junior analyst do you remember what these things were like sql i suppose yeah sql is the main thing and then uh, learning understanding the data pipeline that we had so it wasn't like a list of courses you have to take but rather okay these are the things we work on and try to figure out what's happening there right? yeah exactly exactly one of the things was like Python would be great, but I ended up doing a Python course, but barely actually using it. And yeah, it's been useful to have, but of all the things, I think the most useful practically was jumping into the, once you know SQL and you can write and read SQL, you'll still need to get good at reading and writing SQL and you start coming across much more complicated SQL queries and you're like, fuck, there's like a nested loop here and like, I don't know where this is coming from. So then improving your SQL to be able to read and understand uh, much more complex data models. So that was kind of a big part of the journey and um, was really understanding what our models were, how everything fit together in the wider scheme of the pipeline and how it came to be that, because I had no idea even like what really how a tracker really worked. I just sort of knew that there was this thing called the Snowplow Tracker that like collected data, but it was all sort of um, not very like detailed knowledge. So really going in and understanding like how things really work to get the data from one point to the other and transform it. Did you need to keep doing your, you know, old job of a marketing specialist or you completely could uh, in like start, I don't know, immerse yourself in this uh, BI or there was like some in-between period where you had to do both? Well, to be honest, I'd already been doing, as part of the performance marketing role, I, I was really acting like a kind of marketing analyst in a way and building the reporting for the teams and, you know, people who were doing other jobs. I was kind of helping them build reports and managing that. So I was already kind of doing a lot of that kind of work. So there was a transition period where kind of like the first projects that I worked on a sort of more marketing focused like I think one of the main projects was helping establish like how to measure brand campaigns yeah looking into that and like building dashboards based for that and kind of a wider topic around that but yeah I think it was kind of a transition but at some point yeah I just handed over the main performance marketing tasks mm -hmm. which are managing the campaigns but it was it was quite a good moment because the pandemic meant that we were already hitting a, a kind of slight stagnation point with some of our campaigns and then the pandemic hit and it was really difficult to record new 
ads as well um, in quarantine. So there was a kind of natural slowing down of, of that side of the work anyway. So it was a good moment to pivot. And uh, what do you do now? What do your responsibilities include? So I'm working as a, yeah, as, as, as mentioned, an analytics engineer, but also data analyst. So we are still a relatively small team. We are four people in total. For reference, the company size is just over 100. Um, so none of us have a particularly specialized role. We kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, at the moment, our team lead is on extended uh, leave. So I'm acting as interim team lead. So a lot of work is really working with the new CPO who's just come in, reassessing with key KPIs that we have as a company, how we measure them. Yeah, of course, as a <laughs> quite common when I think a new C-level comes in, there's often a rehashing of dashboards and reworking of the, the core reporting um, to suit the new requirements. So a lot of work has been recently done on that. Um, we also each uh, there's like two of us that are kind of these in analyst roles, and we work very closely with the product managers. So we're focusing very closely on supporting the various product teams with experimentation, building out new features, um, A/B testing, evaluating those, and yeah, where necessary, building out our data model to reflect those new changes. Yeah, so I think the day-to-day -day is really a mixture of supporting the teams, sometimes ad hoc analysis needed. If, for example, there is a new feature being developed and there's some hypothesis around, yeah, the kind of user that they want to reach and how big those cohorts might be, kind of, yeah, jumping into the data and taking a look at that. And other work is maybe more on an initiative of our own. So, for example, recently we ran a big RFM analysis recency frequency monetary user behavior analysis which was a bigger project because yeah there's many ways to do it and we took some time to kind of experiment with some different options and that was a that's been a larger project over some months with several presentations of of insights and yeah so there's kind of those bits of work but not necessarily working directly for an individual product manager but yeah working on wider pieces of analysis and insight that's beneficial kind of for the for the company as a whole yeah, we've also recently started doing a few small data science projects in the team, just on the side, uh -huh. which I myself am not directly involved with, but one of my colleagues is, yeah, we're trying to basically run some um, NLP uh, models on basically trying to improve how we understand basically queries um, that our users make and try and essentially to build better query categorization so we can ultimately serve better results. And that's been really nice that we've been able to kind of pick up some more yeah, data science topics in the team and not kind of work exclusively on sort of, um, yeah, sort of reporting and um, yeah, internal. And uh, this query understanding is it's about understanding intent, right? So why a user is searching some information? Like, do they want to come navigate to a certain website? Do they want to get some information? Do they want to buy something? Yeah, exactly. Specifically, it's around being able to segment various queries into the correct categories. So does this query group fall into the category of travel or uh -huh. okay. shopping or transport or, yeah, et cetera. It's a different kind of categorization. Yeah. And when you were describing what kind of duties you have, what kind of things you work on, so you mentioned that you're working on KPIs, dashboards, 
like what else was there? Experiments, supporting product teams with experiments, ad hoc analytics. And then you mentioned a data model. So up to the data model, I think I understood more or less uh, what you were doing. But what is data model? Why do you need to build a data model? Why do you need to update it? We built our data model in DBT based on something called a domain model. So we began basically two or so years ago, maybe even longer now. Uh, we migrated from to DBT. And in that moment, we basically rewrote all our basically queries and to build all our tables or the whole data model was re rebuilt from scratch because yeah it had evolved over time so we had something like six install tables um or something like ridiculous that just sort of spawned over time six what tables install install yeah like tables there's six different tables the data model is about describing what kind of data you have like all this uh, schema and definitions right Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So for the data model, what I mean is kind of what we have in DBT essentially is all mm -hmm. of our different transformation logic for the entire business. So from the most basic sort of staging layer through down to the presentation tables that we then use for analysis. Yeah. So I was just trying to understand what kind of tools you use. So you mentioned three tools already. So you mentioned Snowplow, right? So Snowplow is a tool for tracking, right? So to understand what kind of actions users perform and saving these actions, right? Then you also mentioned DBT, which is a tool for transformation, right? So you have some data sitting somewhere and you need to change it slightly, rework, like uh, aggregate, right? So, and then put it in such a form that you can use for reports, right? Then you also have uh, Looker. Looker is a tool for uh, dashboards, right? What else do you use? So probably use some sort of database, a data warehouse, right? And maybe some other tools too. Yeah, exactly. So we use, yeah, AWS services. So we use S3 and Redshift and also Spectrum as well to query Athena. So we play around a lot with, yeah, so-called hot and cold storage. So keeping data in Redshift versus keeping it in S3 in Parquet files. That's due to cost optimization. So yeah, that's what we use for our, our lake um, warehouse. And then we use Airflow as well as our orchestration tool for our extracting and loading operations. Was it a part of your job to set up all these tools? It was part of my job to set up DBT, yes. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the first big projects. So I'd been in the team for maybe six months or so, and then we began the migration to DBT. And we actually worked with a data consultancy, a small one, to just help us because, yeah, we were essentially three people. And, yeah, I led that project. Um, it was one of my first big projects, which was great. It was a really big learning curve. And I got to learn, yeah, not only about, yeah, DBT, the tool itself, but also data modeling theory and practices and different ways of doing things, what makes sense depending on the size of your data and your, your goals and needs. That was really great. Yeah, so DBT is, is the main one. Looker as well, as I mentioned, I helped to migrate to and implement the company. It was before you actually joined the BI team, right? So you started as a, in marketing, looking at this tool. Right? Exactly. So I actually strangely learned like LookML before I learned SQL, which is a slightly strange, I think, way of doing things. <laughs> there we go. That's how it happened. Yeah, and Airflow was set up by our my colleague who is has more of a data engineering role within the team. And that was also set up relatively recently in the last like two, three years or so. Yeah, those are the main tools. We recently started using Airbyte, 
that some people might be familiar with to yeah basically be able to extract from some kind of common apis um data sources we haven't used it extensively so far we often find that it's got a lot of options but specifically what we need often it doesn't necessarily have the connection yet but i think it's a nice tool relatively easy to use and we've also recently started using Redash, which is like an open source visualization tool that we use for more like ad hoc queries to be able to have a visualization attached to them as well. It seems like most of the tools are open source, well, apart from AWS, right? I don't know about Looker. Is Looker open source? No, no, I don't but, think so. But the rest are, right? So Snowplow is open source, DBT is open source, Airbyte is open source, Redash, I don't know. Are they? Redash is, is open source as well. You like open source, don't you? Yes, <laughs> exactly. Do you host all these things yourself? Or like, for example, yes. when it comes to DBT, use their cloud? No, we host everything ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's just a general decision of the engineering department, basically. Mm -hmm. And when you joined the BI team, was your role already called analytics engineer? Or you just over time realized that, OK, this is how I should call myself? Well, my official role is analytics engineer and data analyst because I really do mm -hmm. both. We're not the size of a BI team that it's possible for someone to do just one too much to do um, role. But I think initially it was, I don't know what the title was initially, BI analyst or something, data analyst. And then I think at that point, even the term analytics engineer really wasn't common. Uh, I think I really only learned about that in the process of implementing dbt which was in 2020 so yeah really some time has passed i think since dbt has obviously become huge in the data community and i think this role of analyst engineer is becoming also much more common but i think at the time when i joined the team that wasn't even a an option i think i don't think anyone even thought of that i don't think the people in the bi team were actually calling themselves that themselves even though that's essentially the job they were doing so yeah, over time, as we all became familiar with that new term and realized that it basically described what we were doing, that was um, yeah taken on. Mm -hmm. Do you think there is some hype in that role? I mean, there was no such thing, and now then all of a sudden everyone's talking about analytics engineering. Yeah, I think to be honest, if you have a small BI team, you know, I think you know six or less people in the team i mean i guess depending on your company and your product and the business model but i think it's a little bit overhyped i mean ultimately i still think that you need quite a large organization to be able to comfortably segment data analysts and analysts engineer and they have so much crossover anyway i can see that in larger organizations it's really helpful to have the, the separation but i think in smaller ones it's not so at least in, in my experience, which is, yeah, simply this, this one company can't speak for others. I found that it's helpful in terms of your own personal progress because you can align yourself with this role and say, okay, yes, this is, this is what I do. This is somewhere where I could improve uh, an area that, yeah, I could spend more time on, but I'm not necessarily, yeah, I think for most kind of small, medium-sized companies, I don't think it's necessary to get really bogged down into the differences between the two because ultimately you're still going to need very overlapping skills like you need to be 
uh, very analytical, very comfortable with your KPIs, what the business model is, the domain model, all of that work, which is not limited to an analytics engineer. It's good data analysts need all of those things more. So, yeah, and I think there's maybe a little bit of, of hype. But again, as I said, it depends on the on the on the organization size. If you have a huge company with a data or department of 20, 30, 40 people, then of course, like it, it just makes like structural sense to split out and focus. Do you think it is uh, synonymous to using DPT? Like you use mm. DPT, therefore you're an analytics engineer. And if you use, if you're an analytics engineer, then you use DPT. Are they the same thing or you can't be an analytics engineer without using DPT? It's a good question. I mean, I feel like the DBT themselves have really promoted this title, right? I think, yeah, it's coming from them. Exactly. So <laughs> in a way, I think, yeah, it kind of is synonymous. Like, I at least haven't seen many job applications for analytics engineer that haven't been like, your job is to work with DBT. So, I mean, I'd be interested to kind of see how that role could look with a different stack. I imagine there are people who are working under the title of data engineer or data analyst who mm-hmm. do the work of an analytics engineer, but just don't call themselves that in, in other companies that maybe don't use DBT. Yeah, because uh, in the company where I work, we don't have DBT. We have a homegrown DBT kind of not replacement, but it was before DBT was popular, right? Yeah. So as many other companies, we kind of invented DBT, which is like airflow-based way to schedule SQL queries, right? I don't think we, none of our analysts who use this tool call themselves analytics engineers. So I'm wondering, are there any tools that are doing the same thing as DBT, apart from these homegrown tools like we have? Or are there any such things on the market? I don't know. To be honest, (laughs) I haven't had the time to really look in i mean i think at the moment dbt is on such a growth trajectory it's being mm-hmm. i see so many yeah job up job ads for looking for people to help them set up dbt and i think it's really taking off so i don't personally know but i you know like you said we were previously using sql runner which is like snowplows kind of similar own exactly what you described basically an mm-hmm. orchestration tool for sql queries where yeah you can specify the order and, and whatnot and yeah, incrementalization strategies were not invented by DBT. There's, there's, there's many ways to set those up in those other kind of setups. So I think that for me, and this engineering, I think where the, for me the focus there is on, which, for example, with the data analyst, perhaps is not so much the focus, is really around, I guess, the wider architecture, right, of the data model. For me, that's where the analytics engineering role is, is really important. It's once you start collecting, you know, various different data sources, you have, you know, all of these issues around consistency and, yeah, of course, freshness and all of these various concerns. I think that this is where an analytics engineer really needs to shine is to understand how everything fits together in this wider ecosystem, which perhaps an analyst might know, you know, doesn't necessarily need to understand that the full all the transformations and how everything connects to each other, but an analytics engineer really, really does. So I think this kind of focus on data modeling, like theory is much more important. So I think in that way, it's kind of slightly more like a theoretical um, role in many ways, which I think is often not really talked about. Um, it's often spoken of as like 
technical, which it is, but I think it's really important to understand as an analytics engineer, the different kind of data modeling frameworks and what's possible and whether having a, you know, a wider table or a narrower table, like why, when, in which case should you go for one versus the other? Um, when should you choose a certain kind of incrementalization when not strategy? And so I think that's, that's kind of the part of the, the role that I think is probably, yeah, very specific and I guess becoming more and more important just as there is so much more data that companies in general are collecting. So by virtue of more companies, smaller companies, different kinds of companies in the traditional kind of big enterprises start using and collecting data and building up data departments, then of course, like this becomes more of a need. I'm curious about this data modeling theory that you mentioned and selecting like whether it should be a wide table, it should be a narrow table. If I wanted to learn more about this, where do I go? What kind of resources mm. do I have about this? That's a good question. I think I really struggled a little bit with this because there's really a lot of, there's a lot of quite, I wouldn't even call it advanced stuff, but the textbooks and that you can buy on like data models, just very dry. Like I'll just be honest. Like Kimball, right? This yeah, kind Kimball, of stuff. Like there's loads of textbooks. It's something I think I studied at university, but never actually sold this book outside of university. Exactly. I have to be honest, I've given them a good shot. And I found that I just learned by doing. I learned through talking to, to people who'd, yeah, my mentors or senior and uh, who were experts. And I just asked as many questions as I could and never afraid to just ask stupid questions and repeat questions if I needed to until it made sense. And then sometimes if I had basic knowledge, I had something that I wanted to understand, I would go and just research it online. And there are a lot of good, increasingly actually, a lot of really good like blog posts, newsletters, that are available and I think increasingly there are more and more resources that are a lot, a lot more like accessible um, for people who haven't necessarily studied like computer science or like data science or statistics or these sorts of subjects at university. You didn't study that right did you? No I studied classics which is Latin and ancient Greek. <laughs> that was your education? That was my bachelor's yeah. yeah so you, <laughs> exactly. you speak ancient Greek and Latin. No, I I read. I can read it. Interesting. This just made our interview even more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you go from studying ancient Greek and Latin to being an analytics engineer? So you learned basically everything you needed yourself, right? Yeah, exactly. By yourself, I mean not as a part of any official curriculum. To be honest, I did this SQL course on Udemy that cost me 12 euros and it was great. It was really, really good. It was quite long, but the the guy, I can't remember, I think it was just called it the complete guide to SQL and it's run by this American dude called Colt Steele. It's just a very strange name. He's got loads of, he's got like a good Python course as well that I did. And I just did that in my spare time. And to be honest, it was really great that it was cost me all of 12 euros and I haven't done a single other SQL course since. Sometimes I do like think, oh, like should I go and pay for one of these like fancy courses in like data science or something? Because it's nice to kind of have structure and, and whatnot. But then I'm like, ah, if I just motivated myself, I could do it for like two pounds. Uh, there's so much stuff online. But it's just a case of 
think I was quite lucky to find a good course right away. I think there are not very good courses out there, but um, so it's a little bit of hit and miss. But I think that's one thing that's really great about, well, I guess software engineering in general and, and computer science is that you, if you don't have a lot of resources, you can really teach yourself. Um, there's a lot of resources online. But at the same time, as I said, like practicing is really the thing that makes the difference. And I was very lucky that I was already at a company that I knew the domain like very well, business model very well, KPIs. So I kind of had all of that already covered and could just focus on developing like SQL skills and data modeling, et cetera. I can imagine that someone who is maybe approaching this as a career change and maybe taking some time out to do it, it's a little bit more difficult because you don't have that context of a specific business or a specific problem that you can kind of hold in your mind as you think about these problems and have an example that you can apply mm-hmm. apply the theory to. Yeah, there is a thing called just-in-time learning. And I think you took this to, to the extreme, right? So without any formal education in computer science or analytics, you just focused on a specific problem, which in your case was marketing, right? And then you're, okay, like how do I, I don't know, set up Looker to do this thing? Yeah. By the way, are your tasks that you do now, are they still more or less related to marketing? So you mentioned this RFM analysis, right? I think it's yeah. still somewhat related, right? No, I think at the moment I'm really working very closely with the product teams. Mm-hmm. So it's really around, but you know, eventually ultimately we are focusing on, yeah, acquiring more users, retaining more users, which are all of course interlinked mm-hmm. goals of the marketing team. So nothing is not directly relevant, but yeah, my direct stakeholders are the product managers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I guess your background in marketing really helped you. Yeah, it really did. I really, really notice how just in everyday work, I definitely see an edge because I'm very comfortable with the, you know, things like a marketing funnel and a conversion funnel, a web acquisition funnel. These are things that, for example, a product manager might be focusing specifically on a on a part of a funnel or a, or a whole funnel as part of the user journey. And as a marketing person, you kind of think about the user journey all the time you know what are the touch points of the user how do they feel at this moment what are they thinking at this moment what have they done where have they come from so you you have this quite close i guess uh, empathy with the user and specifically the journey but at the same time your goal of marketing up to kind of you know constantly optimize and grow and get more users or higher retention or you know more signups or whatever it might be so you have this mindset as well this growth mindset um that i think is a is very useful when you come to advising people from like a data point of view because you can ask the question like okay but yes you got some good feedback from the users on this feature but you know ultimately the top line hasn't like moved at all and we did this because we wanted to grow you know, whatever this kpi is mm-hmm. so i think yeah it definitely does help uh, largely in the realm of like understanding the user journey and it means that you can you can really hold in your head like this user perspective but also the data perspective together and like kind of advise with those two things in your head mm-hmm. and if somebody wants to follow your journey for somebody is working in marketing or maybe not necessarily marketing but they really want to go into data and to start doing analytics engineering and they are domain experts in their domain right so what kind of thing would you suggest them to do so firstly i would say 
Excel is your best friend. I mean, <laughs> Excel is great. Ultimately, it doesn't get, <laughs> I mean, I know everyone hates it, but it really doesn't get the credit it deserves. I mean, I still have people in the company who really should and don't know how to use it make a pivot table and they are quite annoying to make in excel like the most difficult pivot table you make will be in excel if you could do it there and be comfortable and understand what's happening with columns and rows it's that's the first place to go so be really really comfortable with excel play around with functions pivot tables just explore it looking at different ways of trying to you know take a data set that you feel comfortable with it might just be something really simple like daily signups and by country and just in Excel start playing around with that and asking questions. And then of course, SQL, the most important thing. Learn SQL, try and find online. There are some data sets that you can play around with and kind of practice the SQL and that's really, really useful. But ultimately I think where I found a little bit of a gap in the self-learning was between the online SQL resources and like finding like advanced SQL queries that made sense that weren't written by someone on the other side of the world about a company that had no connection to, didn't understand the business model so, and was written in a way that, for example, wasn't the style that was going to be written in my team. So ended up just being a little bit confusing and extra work to try and understand. So if there's a way to access like some of the SQL code that the BI team are using, maybe you can ask them to share like a couple of, SQL queries that they use to make the main tables or that's definitely something to do if your company is using Looker there's amazing like to get familiar with that really just start building 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 just from dashboards explores become really comfortable with filtering pivoting those sorts of things there's a lot of resources as well online from Looker and I think also I think the Tableau as well or whatever visualization tool you're using, it doesn't really matter. Just, I think, be comfortable with the basic kind of features of those. Yeah, those would be the main things, I think. And then go from there. I think also find someone who can be your, if not mentor, kind of your champion or someone that you can, an ally, I guess, in the data team and ask them, you know, what do I need to do? What skills are still missing? How do I do them? Like, do you think it's possible? Ask them what they would recommend if you're in an existing company and you're looking to move to that department yeah i think that would be kind of my my suggestion how important do you think to have this mentor or champion in this journey like for you from what i understood it was quite important it was crucial right that person uh, it was a marketing analyst if i remember correctly right she told you what you should do like what kind of things you should focus on and then she yeah. also was helpful for you to actually transition to the team. Exactly. She was the BI analyst, the data analyst, the only one that we had at the time. Actually, sorry, we had two people in the data team. She was one of them. For me, it was very useful and important. I think, to be honest, though, it depends on uh, on the company, your position in the company, how comfortable you feel, what level of kind of like power, so to speak, you have in the company. And also, I mean, for me, as a woman, I think, you know, transitioning from marketing into a more technical role. I was going to move to the engineering department. There was, for me at least, I felt an element of, you know, a lot of imposter syndrome. I thought, oh, what am I doing? Like, can I really do this? And I think it really helped me to have another, a female basically 
mentor to kind of champion me and encourage me and say yeah you can do this like definitely you can do this like you just need to do this and this and like definitely do that once you've done that like come and find a way so it depends I think if you have a lot of motivation and you're very clear on what you want and you're confident um then I don't think it's necessarily needed but particularly for minorities especially I think also in there's a lot of support groups like outside of you know, there's pie ladies and lots of different various support groups for minorities in tech, which are great to be inspired by. But I think having that one person in your company who you can relate to um, can be really helpful just in terms of building up your own confidence. And it's definitely something that helped me also to not just transition into the team, but, you know, once I was in the team, kind of accelerate quickly because, yes, I was junior when I joined but my career path up to being a mid-level analyst and now sort of interim team lead was a lot quicker because I had to fight and be like well I have been doing analytics work for years before I haven't actually picked all of this up from scratch and sort of having to like have the confidence to make that clear and argue it and yeah it was really helpful having someone to basically champion so I would recommend finding one person in that company who can kind of be that for you. Yeah. Did you take part in any of these support groups that you mentioned, like by ladies, or did you have uh, mentors or people who you constantly talk to outside of the company, or it was mostly that person and the rest of the team that you talked to to learn? Yeah. In my case, it was mainly my two teammates who were the, the BI team when I joined. They were incredible, so supportive. They really encouraged me a lot and, yeah, have helped me hugely I'm very excited for me to join and the team and made me feel very welcome and like I, I deserve to be there which was very useful because at times I was like oh what am I doing it like this is too hard but in terms of external support not really to be honest I had a, two very close friends who worked in data who yeah it was nice to talk to them and have their advice as well and have different perspectives from different companies which I think is something that Particularly as someone who's been at a company for a very long time, I definitely feel the need to speak to people in different places and be like, oh, is it also like this where you work? <laughs> or like, is this a specific issue like just that we're facing or is this a general thing? And having that perspective has also been really useful in order to just sort of like benchmark certain issues that you come across. <laughs> so yeah, I think having a few more external, I think, mentors or support would be yeah great I think probably in the coming year I'll probably look for a mentor to kind of help with like kicking off the next phase of development but, yeah. do you have any ideas where you can look for these sort of mentors like would it be conferences meetup groups or I don't know someplace online yeah probably a combination of LinkedIn I mean first the network so asking yeah, asking people that I know if they have anyone they recommend. And then, yeah, meetups as well, I think is probably the a good way to go. Is there an analytics engineering meetup in Berlin? I'm not sure. There's definitely like a snowplow um, meetup that I think has just started up again. Mm -hmm. about to. Um, then, yeah, in terms of data engineering, I'm not sure, to be honest. I, don't think so. I know there are some data meetups 
I'm not sure if they're specifically analytics engineering. I have kept an eye open on so I like on the DBT Slack group, mm-hmm. which is extensive and actually great. Yeah, they have like some city specific groups and Berlin has yet to uh, I think make its appearance. So perhaps in the future there might be like DBT Berlin. Yeah, I think there should be. So one of the people who helped me with the questions uh, is Victoria. So Victoria was a guest on this podcast like more than a year ago and now she works at DBT. And I think she is she is or will be organizing something soon, I think. Have a nice. Maybe yeah. she will tell us. I wanted to ask one last thing. So you mentioned that you are subscribed to some newsletters. So there are good blog posts, good newsletters, and these newsletters are quite useful for you. What kind of newsletters are you subscribed to? So if I want to keep an eye on what's happening in this area, what kind of newsletters do I subscribe to? It's a good question. There's one, I think I'm subscribed to analytics engineering one. That's, I think it might be the DBT one. I think it's called like the Roundup or something. Roundup. Okay. Analytics engineering Roundup. But I think it might be the DBT actually newsletter. There's another one I just subscribed to like a week or two ago. That's called Lenny's newsletter. Lenny's newsletter. So it's uh, Lenny is a name of a person. Yeah, L E double N Y. I've only just subscribed to it recently. I think it was slightly more like kind of product analytics focused. And then there's a blog that I'm sure most of your readers will know. I've just forgotten the name of it. It's like profoundly optimistic or something it's called. Locally optimistic? Locally optimistic, yeah. That one. Yeah, they have a Slack community too. Yeah, from time to time I'll check their site as well. Profoundly optimistic is also a good name. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's even better, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So... If somebody has questions for you, how can they find you? Is it LinkedIn or there are some other ways to contact you? Yeah, LinkedIn would be best. They can just message me directly on there. Okay, Nikki, thanks for joining us today. It's been a while since we started this conversation. So finally, we had this interview. So thanks a lot for joining us today, for telling us about your journey, for sharing all the experience and expertise you have. And thanks everyone also for joining us, for being active here. And have a great rest of the week. Thank you for having me. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye.